post Quinn on Twitter if you uh, are mad. Yeah, roast Quinn. What's your Twitter handle, Quinn? Uh, yes. At QK97. But his mom uses no, Twitter more than he does, it. so make sure to tweet at Quinn's mom. <laughs> 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 Quinn should have bought batteries. <laughs> Welcome back to the Maroon Weekly, episode 28, for 10th week of fall quarter. As always, I'm Quinn. I'm Isaac. I'm Miles. I'm Austin. I'm Jack. Why do I always say, as always? I mean, do we? Because it's, 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 it's funny now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just funny now. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's different people. <clears throat> this is our last episode of this quarter. Um, we'll miss you guys over winter break. That's right. Yeah, we won't be putting out any episodes for finals week, sorry. But we'll be back first week of winter quarter. Best of luck to everyone on their finals. And happy holidays. We now apologize in advance if that's why you fail your exams. <laughs> now let's get into our stories for the week. Miles, you have our first story about some local politics. What um, elections are you looking at? So yeah, the municipal elections in the city of Chicago are coming up next winter. Uh, and the big one that has got a lot of people's attention is the mayor's race for which there are oodles of candidates. But more close to home... The alderman for the 20th Ward, which is the one that the university uh, is located in, is retiring after he got indicted for embezzling ward money and taking bribes in 2016. And so what does the field of candidates look like for that new open seat? So there are really a lot of candidates, kind of like the mayor's race for this election. So there's 15 candidates. um, And recently, nine of them showed up at a community forum to talk about different issues. And the big one that came out of that is all nine of the candidates who were there, they unanimously expressed support for a community benefits agreement with the Obama Presidential Center. So what would that mean for the community and its relation to the center? So there are a lot of specifics about it that the candidates couldn't exactly agree on what they wanted to see. But generally, the point of the community benefits agreement is to ensure that as the to ensure that as the Obama Presidential Center gets developed, it doesn't push existing communities out of the area. So things in that could include uh, rent control or property tax freezes. One significant thing that came out of that is two of the candidates who were at that forum had previously expressed some hesitation uh, with regards to passing a community benefits agreement, but as of this forum, they had changed their positions on that. How would a CBA come to pass, like become a law? So it would have to pass in... Well, I guess I don't know exactly the answer to that question, but there are a couple of ways that that could happen. So one way is that it could be negotiated between the community and the Obama Presidential Center. Uh, But more likely, what seems to be coming together is that the city council in Chicago, all of the 50 aldermen for the city would pass uh, a CBA that would bind the developers of the Obama Presidential Center to take certain actions. So there's actually another community organization on the south side called the Obama CBA Coalition, which is uh, advocating for a CBA. And they've, and they've actually gotten it to where the CBA ordinance is going to be put on the ballot in the city elections. So that'll be a non-binding referendum, which means it doesn't actually force the city council to do any ac- certain action. But it will put pressure on the city council, presumably, to pass that ordinance and require the Obama Presidential Center to do essentially the CBA stuff. As many of you all have probably heard, Phi Delta Theta fraternity is recolonizing this year on campus after a hazing incident in 2015. Is that the actual, like, technical term, recolonizing? Yeah, so essentially what recolonizing is, is when an incident happens at a fraternity, they wait till all of the members have graduated from the university, so which would have been last year's class, so they can have a fresh start, like a clean slate. Um, In the previous incident that caused this fraternity to be shut down, 
happened? It, it was in 2015 on induction night. There, it was a hazing incident, um, and it resulted in like a $250,000 lawsuit by a pledge. Um, it ended up settling out of court, and that's when the chapter went dormant. Got it. So all those, all the students that were there at that time are now graduated or off campus. So now they're re- recolonizing this frat. Yeah, and so that's where most of our story is. So the Maroons sat down, actually, with um, two of the expansion consultants, as are their official names, um, that work for the national chapter of Phi Delta Theta, um, and they're in charge of this recolonization effort. Um, what we're finding out is during this recolonization process, uh, so far two of the founding fathers, as the fraternity is calling them, have been kicked for sexual misconduct allegations. So how is this process supposed to happen, this recolonization process? So over the summer, uh, the national organization, the national chapter, put up ads all over social media to attract interest. Um, essentially, you submit an application uh, with, or with contact information, um, and the two expansion consultants, they interview everybody, um, and then they start letting people into the fraternity. Since they don't, their house is currently being renovated, so they meet once a week uh, as a fraternity. And the expansion consultants emphasize to the Maroon that in doing this interview process, they're focusing on finding guys who are who are driven and don't just want to party it up every weekend. They're looking for guys who want to impact campus. And they're really trying, um, in their eyes, to, uh, to bring a good name back to Phi Delta after the incident in 2015. And so how has this affected their process uh, where are they going to go going forward so they've been adding around two to three new members a week uh since the beginning of the quarter they're up to about 38 members and they're looking to cap it at 50 founding fathers um but the consequence of really trying to make sure Fidel becomes a, an upstanding fraternity on campus it, the result of that has been these two suspensions or the two removals from the founding fathers due to sexual misconduct allegations the fraternity is currently upgrading the fraternity house with more than a million dollars in renovations. And it's interesting to note that Fidel will have a resident master in the fraternity house who will most likely be a PhD student who is on site to enforce their no alcohol policy, which struck me as an interesting policy for the fraternity. Next up, we're going to cover a case involving the university and a former student, um, Jack. What's going on there? Yeah, so the school is now being sued by a former male student who was expelled a week before graduation last year for sexually assaulting a female student. The lawsuit uh, pretty much is filed both against the female student and the university, and it claims that uh, Chicago discriminated against the student because of his gender uh, and that the accusations against him were falsified. Uh, if this sounds familiar at all, it may be because in 2016, a different male uh, also sued... Uh, sorry, uh, if this sounds familiar, uh, it may be because in 2016, a different male also sued the, U- the university uh, under the Title IX Act for being discriminated against after he was accused of sexual assault. Uh, that suit was settled earlier this year. The current suit has become more complicated after recent accusations against the plaintiff for breaching the confidentiality agreement. Pretty much what this means is that uh, the male student had access to text messages and testimonies that were reserved for the university. The plaintiff's lawyers haven't said how he got access to those, but it could lead to the school taking legal action against him. What exactly is the student trying to get out of the lawsuit? 
The hearing is scheduled for January 25th, and it's not clear at the moment whether or not they are going to reach a settlement. All right, next up, Isaac, we've got your story about David Booth. What's right. going on there? So David Booth, the largest donor in UChicago's history, received the University of Chicago Medal from the Board of Trustees on November 7th in a ceremony in Hutchinson Commons. Before going into investing, he earned his bachelor's in economics and master's degree in business at the University of Kansas and earned an MBA at what was then known as the University of Chicago Graduate School of Business. While at school, he studied under a future Nobel laureate, Eugene Fama, and in November 2008, Booth donated $300 million. In November 2008, Booth donated $300 million to the university's business school, which was renamed in his honor. According to Booth's profile on Forbes, his current net worth is nearly $2 billion. Booth is only the 23rd individual to receive the University of Chicago Medal, which was introduced by the then university president, John Wilson, in 1967 as a way to honor high-level service to UChicago. University President Robert Zimmer said that his philanthropy and dedication to Chicago Booth enables a range of important outcomes from field-defining scholarship to ensuring many more students have transformative educational experiences. In a press release put out by The Dimensional, Booth credited the business school for giving him the necessary training to create the investing fund. Chicago's focus on groundbreaking, Chicago's focus on groundbreaking research in theory has had a tremendous impact on real-world finance and has helped to change the way the world invests for the better. Next up, we're going to talk about a party this weekend that was uh, shut down before it even started. The Guardi, a party that's open and uh, specifically for the LGBTQ community on campus, was shut down by UCPD uh, early before the party started on Friday. Why was it shut down? So, according to some Facebook posts from organizers of the party, um, as, as the organizers were bringing uh, supplies, alcohol, into AEPI, where the party was supposed to be hosted, a uh, UCPD officer appeared and threatened to arrest the party organizers and charge a $1,000 fine if any underage students were found at the party drinking. So, how does the UCPD's handling of this particular party coincide with their current policy of drinking on campus? A lot of people on Facebook and Twitter have been pointing out that the UCPD sort of has a tradition and policy of turning a blind eye to frat parties on campus. I mean, think of bar night happens every week and um, doesn't get shut down like this. Um, so there has been speculation that the reason that this party was shut down and other ones aren't is because of the nature of the party, because it's a LGBTQ plus party, um, and basically people are blaming uh, homophobia for being the reason, whether it was somebody who called in the party or UCPD was looking to shut down the party. Um, that's all speculation, um, but people have been particularly upset about this party being shut down. In case you missed it, last week we dropped another special report. This time it was myself and a news editor at the Maroon, Lee Harris, interviewing a guy named Sean McElwee who was here at UChicago to do a debate at the political union. Sean is an extremely online Twitter personality, uh, writer, and the co-founder of a progressive think tank called Data for Progress. We talked to him about a lot of things, including uh, hashtag abolish ice, which is a thing he started on Twitter. Um, as a figurehead for the movement to end mass deportation. 
You should go check out our interview with him. It's on Spotify and SoundCloud, and you can read the article we wrote about it on the Maroons website. All right, the last story that we're going to cover is Treasure Island, which is still unoccupied. Um, the university is looking for a new tenant, a new supermarket to fill the space. And recently, uh, their communications manager sent out a survey for Hyde Park residents to get a sense of what they're looking for in a new supermarket. What were the results of that survey, Quinn? What did people decide they wanted in that space? So over 3,400 people completed the survey. Over 95% of the people who filled it out say that they're from Hyde Park or live in Hyde Park or a surrounding area. And over 50% also work in Hyde Park. Um, um, Half of the respondents just about said that they have been shopping at Treasure Island for over seven years. Um, And one of the main things that people say that they liked about Treasure Island was its location, that it was close to where they live or where they work. Um, And so really the convenience of the location was one of the biggest uh, pluses of Treasure Island. Since Treasure Island closed, where have be since Treasure Island closed, where have people been shopping, and what kind of things are they looking to buy at the new supermarket? So, a lot of the business, um, according to the survey, people had to had to people were asked to name some of the places that they are shopping now uh, in place of Treasure Island. And a lot of participants named Whole Foods, Walgreens, and Hyde Park Produce. Um, and going forward for a new supermarket, they're looking for uh, something that has a produce department like, like Treasure Island did um, and are also looking for cost-effective um, and valuable products. Time for this week's sports report. <clears throat> In the past week... Women's basketball won both of their games against Elmhurst and Wheaton. Men's basketball won both of their games against Kalamazoo and Wheaton. And men's soccer got destroyed in the NCAA semifinals 4-1. to Poor Maroons. By whom? By Calvin College. What was the score? 4-1. Ooh. Did you already say that? Yeah. Yes. I'm yeah. glad I listened to that. <laughs> <laughs> but they did make the Final Four, so yeah, that in and of itself is a great accomplishment. Uh, that's two years in a row now where men's soccer has made the Final Four, um, and the second year in a row where they got knocked out in the Final Four. But congrats to the team. It was still a great season. And that is it for the Maroon Weekly for 10th week. I'm Quinn. I'm Isaac. I'm Miles. I'm Austin. And I'm Jack. We will see you next quarter. See you first week winter quarter. Thank you as always to Ben Kent and the entire Logan Cage staff for our audio equipment. Music is produced in part by Aaron Sundin, Andrew Dietz, and Kenny Calvert. See you next quarter.